This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, and this is Ezra Beck, and today we have another uh, shiur in the series on the framework of tefillah. This will be the last shiur in this series. Last week we discussed Shmon Esrei as a whole, and today in one, uh, in one session I want to talk about after after Shmonesre and what's connected to Shmonesre. We begin with when does Shmonesre itself actually end? The halachic definition of tefillah, what we call Shmonesre, is berachot. And that's why it's called Shmonesre, because there are 18 berachot in Shmonesre. Of course, there are 19 berachot in Shmonesre, because there's an extra one that was added many, many, many centuries ago. And therefore, somewhat uh, unusually, the Shmonesha consists of 19 berachot. But it's clear that the framework is berachot. And therefore, the last beracha is Sim Shalom, which ends on Mavarech et Amo Yisrael Bashalom, and that is the end of Shmonesri. Now, there is, at the end of Shmonesri, a halachic requirement. Shabbat quotes in Perek. Hamishi, the fifth parak of Hilchot Tefillah, that one um, takes leave. As I mentioned last week, the end of Shemonesri is taking leave of God. Part of taking leave of God is walking backwards and bowing. That's found in Parakei Halacha Yud, where the Rambam uh, speaks about bowing, and he says the last bowing of Shemonesri is Kishigomer HaTefillah, when one finishes Tefillah, Korea, he bows from the waist, Notain Shalom Bismolo, Bismolatsmo, Vachakach Miminatsmo, Vachakach Magbir, Roshomenakaria. He bows, Kishigomer Tfila Korea, Uposea Shadosh Psiot Lachorav, he bows from the waist and takes three steps backwards, and while he bows, he gives Shalom, he takes leave, he says Shalom to the left and to the right. In other words, he faces his, points his head to the left and to the right, and then he raises his head. And that is the end of Shmon according to the Rambam. I want to point out the way the Rambam defines it, because I think people don't always do it this way. The Rambam says, you don't bow to the left, bow to the right. He says, you bow first, then you take three steps back while bowing, and then you notain shalom, notain shalom, mino. that's the language of the Gemara that the Rambam is based on. And that makes it quite clear. It doesn't mean you stand up and bow, you stand up and bow. But while bowing, you tilt to the left, you tilt to the right, and then you straighten up. That's the right way of doing it. Uh, people aren't always uh, particularly careful. Since we say the Pasuk says Shalom at the same time, which apparently is the verbal content of Noten Shalom, Smolom, Noten Shalom, you know. So you should do that as well. You should take three steps back, and then, while facing left, say, Ose Shalom in Wamav. While facing right, say, Huya says Shalom Aleinu, two Shaloms, one to the left, one to the right. And you, you should straighten up. Most of us, including myself, are so habituated to do it differently that it's hard to change. But uh, at least the language of the Gemara and the language of the Ramam would imply that's the right way to do it. In any event, that's how you enter an essay. In other words, there's 19 brachot, and then you, you take off, you leave. And the way you leave is this formal, very uh, feudal, very... Uh, a uh, royal court way of leaving the presence of God, walking backwards while while bowing. To most of us, 
we associate that with somehow the imperial court in Japan or some other uh, Byzantine medieval overly uh, uh, dictatorial regime, but uh, no, we're talking to God here. And uh, it's a kalvachoma. If that's the way one leaves the presence of the emperor of Japan, there's no problem leaving the presence of God in that matter, even though we don't do it for mortals of any sort in our egalitarian democratic societies. Okay, we all know that there's another section in Shemon Esrei between Sim Shalom and the Oseh Shalom that the Mamam has here described. The section beginning, Elokai Nitzo Lishoni Meira. What is it? Where does it come from? And what is it doing there? The Rambam, in fact, does not mention it, either by name or by implication. The Rambam consistently says that one davens by saying the Brachot and saying Osa Shalom, and when he repeats how this is done, he, he again, he, in a number of places, he simply skips over what we know and what we call Elokai Nitzah. The source for Elokai Nitzah is a Gemara in Berachot, Daf Tet Zayin Amud Bet. And the Gemara, I think, makes it quite clear what is the nature, what is the purpose, and what is the, the status, the formal status in terms of the framework of Tefillah, our subject, of the prayer we call Elokai, Elokai Nitzah. The Gemara there states as follows. It's the beginning of a, of a new section. In the printed Gemara, there are two dots beforehand which, of course, is a printer's mark. It's not original in the, uh, the Kitveyad, in the Gemara itself, but uh, that's how the printer thought we were starting a new section. It, it's quite clear. There's no connection with the section beforehand. It says as follows, Rabbi Elazar batar de masayem tzlutei amar. Rabbi Elazar, when he finished davening, notice the words, he finished davening, said. So we're talking about things that are said after you finish davening. Amar hachi. This is what he said. Yihiratzon milafanecha Hashem Elokeinu. I'm going to read what he said. It's unfamiliar to most of us who don't know the Gemara by heart. It's not found in any sidur. I'm going to read it because it's a very pretty tefillah. I won't comment on the content. The content, I think, is not relevant for our topic today. Amar hachi. This is what he said. Yihiratzon milafanecha Hashem Elokeinu shetishkon befureinu. Shatashken, Shatashken befurenu ahava vi achva vishalom vereut. Betabe gevulenu betalmidim. Betatsliach sofenu acharit vitikva. Betasim halkenu began eden. Betakenenu bechaverto vietzatov beolamcha. Benashkim benimza yhulu vavenu li rait shemecha. Betavo lifanecha korat nafshenu litova. When Rabbi would finish davening, he would say this short prayer in which he asked God to grant us love and brotherhood and various other good things in Gan Eden and that we should serve God and find, and find favor in his eyes. The Gemara then continues with another, I don't remember the number, another 13, I believe, Parallel statements. Rav Yochanan, Bata de Messiah Mitzlute Amahachi. Rav Yochanan, when he finished Avenik, said a different Fila. Yirzof Necha Hashem Lakenu Shitatzitz Vodoshtenu Betabid Varatenu. Rav Chia, Bata de Matzli. When Rav Chia finished Avenik, he said as follows. Yirzof Necha Hashem Lakenu Shetorat Chaum Natenu Baal Yidveli Benu Vayashchu Yichashchu Einenu. Rav, when he finished Avenik, said Hachi. He said a different Fila. 
יוסף מלאכה שם הקדוש תן לנו חיים ארוכים, חיים של שלום, חיים של טובה, חיים של ברכה, חיים של פרנסה, יופי, וכן אז זה התפילה. That's what we say on the Shabbat when we announce the coming of Shchodesh. But in the Gemara it doesn't appear, nothing to do with Shchodesh. It's found, it's the תפילה of Rav when he would finish the evening. And this keeps going on. רבי בת הדצלות אמהכי, יוסף מלאכה שם הקדוש תן לנו שתצלם מהזייפנים ומהזודפנים. And um, that's also found in the Sidur in a different place, the beginning of davening. Rabbi Alexander, That's an interesting example. The Tefillah of Rava, when he finished davening, is found in Asidurim, on Yom Kippur. It's after the Tefillah of Yom Kippur. עד שלא נוצרתי אין יחידי ועכשיו שנוצרתי כאילו לא נוצרתי. מר ברי דרבינה כבר מסיים צלותי המהכי אלוקיי נצור לשוני מהרה ושפתיים ידבר ממה פיינל ויקט הוא תפילה that we recognize אלוקיי נצור. what is אלוקיי נצור? it's example number I don't know 10-11 different תפילות said by different רבנים after the תפילה God, my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceit, etc., etc. It's not the last one on the list. There's still the Tefillah of Rav Sheshet, which in fact is the last one put here. What is clear from the fact that there is a list of 11 or 12 different Tefillot? It implies there is no standard Tefillah to be said. And since there is no standard tefillah to be said, I think it's fair that we could understand that there in fact is no halachic requirement to say anything at all. What this Gemara is describing is the minhag of different chachamim. And each one had a different minhag. And the fact that Gemara brings so many clearly indicates what I think is the crucial point here. That we are describing personal tefillot of different rabbanim. And therefore, what the Gemara clearly implies is that every person has his own tefillah. Why then bring <laughs> the quotations of this tefillah? One is interesting. And two, I suspect very strongly that the Gemara felt, and this is what in fact happens in Jewish history, is that most people will find it difficult to formulate a personal tefillah. And therefore, they bring you examples of tefillah of great gedolim, and perhaps you want to adopt one of them. What has happened? In fact... And I don't know of any explanation given by the poskim for this particular choice. In fact, the Sidurim have adopted one of those tefillot, the tefillah of Mar Berei Da Ravina. Elokai Nitzor Lashonimera. But from the Gemara, it's clear that there's no advantage to that particular tefillah. On the contrary, it's merely one in a long list of examples. Of Yaakov Emden in the Sidur, when he gets to this point, in fact, brings all of the examples. And he says the reason he's doing that is because he, he wants to give you more examples. And why does he want to give you more examples? He says because in proper, you should be writing your own tefillah. A person should say a tefillah min halev. That's appropriate to him. And therefore he gives you more examples to, I guess, we would say to uh, stimulate the imagination. Okay, so now we know what the purpose of Elokai uh, 
Nitzah is. One, it's after davening. It's a request after davening, outside of the framework, the formal framework of the 19 Berachot. Two, it's personal. What's the point here? I think it's been obvious in this entire series from the beginning, we're talking about the structure and framework of tefillah, that I believe there is a structure and framework of tefillah, and we try to explicate it. And some of the things we said were, in fact, very, very complicated and formal, and involved a lot of thought in the part of Chazal, how to structure tefillah. In other words, tefillah has a structure, a very formal structure. And the reason for that is that tefillah, despite, I'm not saying it's wrong, but uh, aside from, and despite what we are constantly told, that tefillah has to come from the heart, and it's, and it's a personal outpouring of one's thoughts and feelings before God. Despite having said that, and there's a great deal of truth to that, but tefillah is at least also, if not mainly, a formal exercise in avodat Hashem, in the service of God. And the service of God is the service of the king. And there is a very formal, structured, um, ritualistic way in which one is permitted to approach the king. The Vav of Salvechik Tzatzal expanded on this point enormously. And he would constantly refer to, in, in his own words, that were it not for the fact that Chazal said we should daven, it would be forbidden to daven. Who are you to go and, and schmooze with the king? It's true there's another halacha. There's a, something called not tefillah but tsa'aka. Not prayer but, but outcry. In times of great trouble, times of war, in times of famine, in times of perhaps even personal trouble, there is something called tz'aka, when one cries out to God. And there it may be very well true that all the rules are broken. There are no rules. It's not an audience for the king. It's throwing yourself at his feet and crying, as the Vim described by Eliyahu Navi, or, or, or the king is passing on the street and a woman breaks forth and grabs the hem of his, of his gown and pours out her heart to him. And of course, Kashbuchu listens. But that's not everyday tefillah. And the Rabbi said that, that to do that on a regular basis is forbidden. Who are you? The, the permissibility of tefillah is because it's within this formal structure. The king grants audiences. He grants an audience to his people, to the members of his, of his people. On the other hand, yes, we have been taught that, that tefillah doesn't come from the siddha doesn't come from a text. It comes from the heart. Rachmana Libabai. Kavanat Halev. Tfira Le'ani Ki Ya'atof. Bilifnei Hashem Yishboch Sicho. It's this, this striving, yearning voice of the suffering servant of God. So what I think what Chazal have done here and not as a halachic requirement. As they've said, first of all, daven the way you're supposed to. You have an obligation. It's your, it's your civic duty to appear before God and to say that which needs to be said. And when tefillah is over, there's a framework outside the f- framework. There's a framework outside the framework. There's a prayer after prayer. Which is tachanunim. When a person, yes, personalizes tefillah. He says that which is on his heart. Now, uh, uh, there are two kinds of p- 
personalities, the two kinds of personal tefillah. And and from the examples given in the Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan Bat Masayim Tzilutei Amar Hachi, it sounds like he would always say this. So these are personal tefillah, meaning th- this is the these are things that these people really wanted to say to God on a permanent basis. This is these were their ideals in life. This is what they wanted God to grant them, but they composed it individually. There's another kind of personal tefillah. What do I need today? When my heart is heavy with A, I talk about A. When I'm disturbed by B, I will talk about B. Personal meaning, what, what, not that it comes only from your heart, but it, it applies only to you. The tefillot given in the Gemara are about Klal Yisrael. They're all in Lashon Rabim. The understood that Elokeinitzah, the time of Elokeinitzah, is also a time for personal, personal tefillot. To say that which is really on your mind, tefillah, it's very important in tefillah to speak with Lashon Rabim, to speak in plural, to speak for Am So Sometimes you have something which, you know, it's not it's not the concern of Am You don't think all Jews should be praying for it, but you have to pray for it. And so they say, well, that's, this is a kind of soul. A kind of soul is free time. It's after, you can imagine in the court, after having done your civic duty, after having praised God, beseeched God, said that which the, the, the heavenly court, the human heavenly court, our, our court, our version of the heavenly court says and praises it's all over and now two minutes of free time you get to say anything you want to say so Amisel says that, that, that's the minak Yaakov Evan says doesn't have to be the minak you, you really should strive to personalize it he says you should strive he, he says it as a, as a recommendation you should personalize this tefillah but in any event, this tefillah, this prayer, this saying, is a different kind of tefillah than the tefillah which came before. Now, what we have done, based on ancient Sidurim, the Sidurim of the Gaonim, is that we say this before Oseh Shalom. Remember, I quoted the Rambam who says, when you finish davening, you say Oseh Shalom. Oseh Shalom is taking leave of the presence of God. So what we have done is, by interjecting Elokai Nitzel before Osa Shalom, we've in effect sort of added it to Shmon Esrei. Why? Not not to the saying of Shmon Esrei, which ends when you say the last Pacha, but standing before God, which is the posture of Shmon Esrei, it's the presence of Shmon Esrei. Shmon Esrei is said in the presence of God. You leave the presence of God when you say Osa Shalom. And therefore, to a certain extent, Elokai Shema, you're getting to say it when you're still in the presence of God. And that's why Allah said this is what is done. Uh, you, you, you say it with the halachot of Shemana Esrei. Notice you're still standing. You still have your feet together. L'chatechila. One is not, one is not mafsik. You shouldn't talk. You shouldn't interrupt. There's a whole shayla in the yachronim as to what could you answer. I'll say the chazan is already saying kedusha. So you say, we do say kedusha already. Because it's not really in Shemana Esrei. But maybe you shouldn't say everything. You shouldn't say the extra... Uh, um, Piyut parts of, of, of Kedusha. We, we treat it as though it was part of Shemun Esrei. How is it included in Shemun Esrei? Not in terms of text and structure, but in terms of position. Because you're still standing before the presence of God, and only afterwards do you say Yosef Shalom. From the Rambam who doesn't mention it, it's not at all clear. But what this is what we've done. We've, we've made sure to say this tefillah before leaving, before backing, before backing off. There's another tefillah, which has a similar, which has a similar status. And that's said after Yosef Shalom. And that's Tachnun. Interestingly enough, Elokai Nitzar is mentioned explicitly in the Gemara. It's clear from the Gemara 
that it's more or less optional. Certain rabbis would say it. Tachnun is less explicit in the Gemara. No place in Mesechet Berachot is Tachanun mentioned. No place in Shas does it say that one says Tachnun after davening. There are two Gemarot in Megillah and three Gemarot in Megillah in Tanit and in Bar where it says that there's something called Nefilat Apayim. There's a story in Bar about Rabbi Lazar. It says that every day he would do Nefilat Apayim. He would fall on his face. And there's a story there about uh, he and his wife and his wife didn't want him to say uh, to say Tachanun, we call Tachanun Nefilat Apayim. There's a Gemara in uh, Megillah, which mentions, again, Nefilat Apayim. That's the language used. That's the only term used in the, in the Gemara. Nefilat Apayim, falling on one's face. And there it talks about Ta'anit, not every day. The Gemara says that Rav, who was a, lived in Israel, he was a, uh, a, 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 an Israeli, uh, he lived in the land of Israel. He was visiting Bavel once. And he got there on a Ta'anit Sibu. He got there on a fast day. And when he got there, Kuli Alma Everyone said Nefilat Apayim. They all fell on their faces. He didn't do it. No one discusses why he didn't do it. Could be they only said it on Ta'anit. doesn't say when they said it either. There's some glimmer in Ta'anit, which is, again, in the context of fast days, that there in the special Tefilat fast days, there's falling on one's face. The very expression to fall on one's face, I mean, that, that's the name, the, the, the halachic name for Tachnun is not Tachnun but Nefilat Apayim. We all, I think, understand instinctively what does it mean to fall on one's face. It's the ultimate in beseeching. When, you're, when, you're, when you don't know what to do, when you throw yourself at someone's mercy, right? If, if, if in a, again, it's, it's not often done today if you want to ask something of your boss, we probably wouldn't in our society throw ourselves at his feet. Rather embarrassing and uh, probably wouldn't work anymore. But, but we all know where the pasture comes from. It, it involves total abnegation and subjugation and subservience. I am nothing. I, I throw myself at your feet. You don't owe me anything. I think that that's very important in that pasture. You're saying, you know, by, by lowering yourself to the ground, you're saying that you're not demanding, half demanding, you have, you have no claim. You're simply throwing yourself at his feet. Throwing yourself at his feet means I don't ask for anything, I don't demand, I don't deserve anything. But nonetheless, I, I, I just beg you, beg you to please give me something. That's why it's at the end of Tefillah. And in fact, in our Nusach of Tachnun, there's a line there that said at the end, V'anachnu lo we don't know what to do anymore, but our eyes are still on you, to you. Many, many poskim, beginning with the Tshuva de Vivash, say that Tachanun has a status of minhag. Because they found no explicit statement in the Gemara anywhere saying that one should say it. So they say it's minhag. And in fact, that's how the Vivash explains why we don't say it in so many different days. It, it, it's hard to give a halachic definition as to when one doesn't say Tachanun. We all know that that's the most common argument in shuls. They say Tachanun the Mincha before Tubishvat. So the Vivash says, look, it's only Minag, and that's why there are days you don't say it. And this is repeated by many, many poskim. Halacha uh, Lamaisa. I think if one looks in the Rambam, one sees that that's not the Rambam's opinion. Uh, the Rambam 
Perek Hey of Hilchot Tefillah begins with these words, Shemona Devarim Tzarich HaMitpalel Dizahel Behen Velasotan. There are eight things which the one who prays needs to be careful about them. He needs to do them. This is opposed to Perek Dao. Let me explain the framework of the Vamba. Talk about the framework of Tefillah. Let me talk about the framework of the Vamba. Perek Dao in the Vamba is Chamisha Devarim Ma'akvin Et HaTefillah. Five things, ma'akev. Ma'akev means they must be done, and if you can't do that, you can't daven. There are five things which are ma'akev, and parik heyish, when the dvarim tzachad mitzal lezer, behem balasotan, bimayatachuk onenas, or shavav, or lasotan, ain ma'akvin. So the five things were things which are necessary, and the eight things which he lists in parik hamishi, in the fifth parik, are things which you should do, but are not necessary conditions. And therefore, I wouldn't call them optional. You have to do them. But if you can't, or if you didn't, then you still were able to die. I'm not going to read all eight things, but some things will be quite familiar to you. And we all know, we all treat them as being, in fact, uh, obligatory. You're supposed to do them. The first one is Amida. You should have anyone standing. It's true that if you can't stand, you can have anyone sitting. Someone's an invalid. Can't get out of bed. Or if you're on an airplane, there's no place to stand. You're having sitting. But, it's a halacha that one should have been standing. And then Raman quotes, the, it's a gemarot, and Raman quotes the gemarot. Okay, one of the things of these eight things, in fact, the last one is called hishtachavaya, bowing. You say, oh, we all know what bowing means. Yes, one, one bows in Shemoneshe, but no, no, no. The Ramam, before that, the seventh thing is called kiriya. There's kiriya and hishtachavaya. They both mean to bow, they're different kinds of bowing. Now, Kiri'ah is the bowing that you're thinking of. Later on, when the Rambam explains each one of these individually, Perek Hey, Halacha Yud is Kiri'ah Ketzad. How does one bow? The seventh requirement. How does one bow? Ha-Mitpalel Korea Chamisha Kiri'ot Bechot Tefillah B'Tefillah. The Rambam says that one should bow five times in every Tefillah. I'm pausing to allow you to try to count in your head. Five, five, five. Do we bow five times in every tefillah? Hmm? Okay, the suspense is over. If you really want to think about it, but you haven't figured it out, put your MP3 on pause and come back when you give up or you've figured it out. But I'm going to continue reading. The Rambam. There are five kiriot, five bowings in every tefillah. The first bracha, beginning and end. Baruch and Magen Abraham. Bahodaya Trilava Self. The seventeenth Bracha. Modim. When you say Modim and at the end of it, when you say Baruch Kelodot. Hatov Shemachal Chanel Hodot. That's four. Ushigomera Tfila, Korea Uposea Shalosh Psyot, what I read beforehand. And when you finish Tfila, three steps backwards while bowing. That's the fifth. Okay, that's the fifth. Next Halacha. Hishtachavaya. Bow, prostrating. I'll use a different word. There's bowing and there's prostrating. Hishtachavaya keitzad. But again, this is the eighth requirement, mandated part of tefillah, but not uh, not a necessary condition for tefillah. What is the eighth requirement of prostrating? After he raises his head from the fifth bowing, that was Yosef Shalom, Yeshev la'aretz, he should sit on the floor, v'nofel al panav arza, and he falls on his face to the ground, 
ומתחנן בכל התחוננים שירצה. And he pleads with all the pleadings that he wishes. Then the Mamam explains a little bit more about, about Nefilat Apayim, and that's the end of Tefillah. Mamam says, the Minhag is not to do it on Shabbos, not on Rosh Chodesh. There is a Minhag when you do it when you don't do it. But it's quite clear from the Mamam that it is, in fact, obligatory. It's not necessary condition. If you skipped it, you still davened. But you are supposed to do it. These are the things that Sarich Adam Lizaher Bahem Velasotan, like standing, like being dressed properly, like davening in the right place, like bowing five times. And it's a halacha in tefillah. This is after tefillah. He says so. When you finish davening, you do this. So it's a halacha of tefillah after tefillah. When you finish davening, a proper tefillah is, is followed by. Nefilat apayim, falling on one's face. Let me explain just very, very quickly. None of us, we don't usually call it nefilat apayim, we call it tachnun. In fact, we don't fall on our faces. There's a lachic problem with falling on one's face in a place where there's stone. And therefore, whether you're with stone or whether you're not stone, the minute is not to exact, but to do a symbolic falling on one's face. One, number one, shields the face from direct contact with any stone, or even in fact with the floor. You fall on your arm rather than on directly on the floor. And uh, perhaps uh, many people can think there should be also a beged, there should be a uh, some sort of a claw separation between your face and and your arm in this case, whatever comes underneath it. And also your face is tilted slightly to the side, you fold either on the left side or the right side. Uh, the minigas, depending on which army we're filling on, there's all kinds of sorts of halachic uh, uh, additions which allow us to both fold on our faces and not fold on our faces for halachic problem which we're not going to discuss now. But the, the, the thing that we're doing is called Nefilat Apayim. And even though the Ramah Paskans, if there's no Sefer Torah, you don't actually do Nefilat Apayim, it's still Nefilat Apayim. It's a Tachanunim, not Nefilat Apayim, without Nefilat Apayim. But what I, I think we should treat the Ramah seriously, the, the, the category is Nefilat Apayim, which is the only name used in the Gemara for what we're talking about. What is the content of Nefilat Apayim? Falling on your faces is not content. It indicates perhaps the 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 atmosphere, the 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 psychological state of he who is about to say something. What does one say? Mitchanein b'chol ha-tachanunim she-yirtzeh. There's an interesting shayla which is very often asked. People ask, how come we don't say tachanun yom kippah? It's on Shabbos. You know, on Shabbos we don't do a lot of pleading. You know, a lot of have personal pleadings on Shabbos and Yantif. Maybe other days where you do say regular shmon but okay, they're happy days and tachanun somehow is... No, it's about tzara, it's about problems. So we don't uh, ruin the Rosh Chodesh tefillah with Tachlan, but Yom Kippah. Oh, Yom Kippah is, is, is pleading and begging. It's a good question. The Rambam says you do say Tachlan Yom Kippah. Um, Yom Kippur bilvad noflim al pneem b'chot tefillah v'tefillah v'neishu yom t'chino b'kasha v'tanit. Yes, Yechidim, the people who say Tachlan on Yom Kippah in every tefillah, why? Because that's what Yom Kippur is. Yom Tachina, the word Tachanunim, Tachina, pleadings. Yom Kippur is the whole day of pleadings. It's the most appropriate filah for Yom Kippur, he says, would be, would be Tachanun. The Rambam uh, uh, repeats this language a number of times, just so that we shouldn't think that it's somehow accidental. When the Rambam sums up the Seidrat filah, he has like a, like a sitter. How, how does one daven? So he, Perichet, Filat Atzibu, Perich Tet. So when he gets to finishing davening, when he finishes all the davening, he should sit, 
panav, he should fall on his face, and he should tilt to one side a little bit. He, meaning the Chazan, and all of the congregation, and he should plead. And then he sits and raises his hand, and he says a little more. And then the Raman finishes that. So these are Tachanunim. I think the content idea is very similar to Elokai Nitzel. The main difference, the Raman, by the way, has no text for Tachanun. doesn't mention any text at all. You plead according to your own personal strength. That's the Raman Perak Aleph said that the, Jew, the rabbis didn't trust Jews to write their own tefillot. And that's why they instituted formal tefillah, the Nusach of Shemana at this point he says, I'm not giving you any advice whatsoever. No hint, no text, no suggested text. Yitchanein lefikocha. We have a text. It's in Asiduvim. Minah Gisar doesn't trust you to write your own tefillah. But, but, but the Ramam, Ramam doesn't even hint at a text. Yitchanein lefikocha. There's a difference between the Sfar and the Sukh Ashkenaz, which pair can tell them to say, but Halacha the Maisa. What is the halacha here? Not, not halacha l'maisa. What is the halacha here? It's not this parak and tilim or that parak and tilim. It's mitchanein l'fi kocha. You plead for yourself, for Am Yisrael. You pour out your heart before God. That is tachanun. What's in between tachanun and elokai The difference is the pasture. Pasture is an enormous difference if you're talking about psychological state. Here you stand, and here you fall on your face. If you stand, it's because you're in the presence of the king. You have to stand with respect. So it's true you're saying a personal tefillah, but but you're still obeying protocol. Tachnun, you're not formally in the presence of the king. Let's say it's not the king's court. Perhaps you 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 the king was walking in the street, and you burst through the honor God, and threw yourself at his feet. Nofel al panav. That's tachanun. All formality is gone. It's not respectful to be falling at his feet. But, but the king, our father the king, is listening to that which you have to say. Now you understand how, how crucial it is. That's what I'm saying. It's, just, it's unimaginable to say you should fall on your feet and say these words. You fall in your seat and and pour out your heart. So again, we, we are somewhat inadequate in our ability to do this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. On the contrary, I mean, I think you should say what's in the seat of it. Because David Amelach did a wonderful job of pouring out his heart and we can attach our hearts to his. But you should remember the halacha. And in fact, if you have need, take advantage of the halachic license, halachic requirement, halachic suggestion. This is the time to pour out your heart before God don't try to rewrite the Tefillot of Shua but use this framework after the framework. We have now two frameworks after the framework. There's the immediate prayer after prayers, and then there's the We don't know what to do, God. Ay, you fall on your face, and you say what you have to say. Before God, I pour out that which is in my heart whether it's by the recommendation of the Siddur or by any other tefillah uh, that our heart bursts and pours out. Okay, and that tefillah has really ended. 
I know there's more in the Siddur. There's Ashrei Vazatziyan. And there's Aleinu. But we've come to the end of the semester. And since we have now the prayer after the prayer, so we've sort of hard to imagine a a longer framework. In terms of framework, Tefillah has really ended. I'll leave it for you to investigate on your own the meaning of Ashrei Vodatsiyon with the Kedusha that's in it. And the very important Tefillah Baleinu with which we end every single Tefillah of the day. I've enjoyed very much giving this uh, this series. I've learned a lot myself. I'm forcing myself to prepare. Has really caused me to crystallize and to uh, understand much better for myself the ideas which you spoke about. And I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. And uh, since I'm also <laughs> busy arranging the next semester's KMTT uh, courses, I want to you know, wish you all well in the short vacation that we normally take during Chodesh Av and to come back in Chodesh Elul when we will be back with new Shiurim and new series here on KMTT the Torah Podcast Ki mitzion teitzei Torah u'davar Hashem mi'ur shalayim kol tuf